All right, now let's cast. Let's do this. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So, as you may know, a few days ago was my birthday. <laughs> absolutely oh my gosh! <laughs> Happy birthday! Oh, no, I, dude. Did you not get my card? <laughs> oh, no. Did, oh, did I send that? Where did I send that? What? Are you thirty-one? Up a little bit. I'm the messianic age of thirty-three. 33 man, are you thirty-three? Can you believe that? Whoa! No, I really can't. Yeah, I know that that means I'm old because people keep saying stuff like that. Like, wow, I can't believe you're 33 or you don't look 33, which I always take as a compliment, but it's a backhanded way of saying, wow, that's actually kind of old. Well, it's just like full adult. It's age. full on. You're in your yeah. you're in your 30s. You're in your 30s. <laughs> Not even your early 30s. You're just in in there, which I think. To date is my favorite decade so far. I think I'm killing my 30s much better than my 20s. Nice, dude. Good my 30s are going to make my 20s look like my teens. Can you imagine Whoa. like when your 20s started, you were like a student at U of I. I was a dumb head. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Dude, what if you improved each decade like you have since your teens to your 20s to your 30s? Whoa, dude. Once I'm 140, I'll be so good. Well, with modern science, <laughs> why not 170? Yeah, you know that's right. That's right, dude. That's we'll be true. superhumans. Mm-hmm. You what know what I'm saying? Didn't Rob Lowe's character in Parks and Rec say something like, scientists believe that the first person to live to 200 has already been born. I believe I am that person. I believe I am that person. <laughs> yeah, he definitely said that. <laughs> yep. So anyways, when uh, he gets sick, a tiny <clears throat> grain, granular of sand in the mechanism that is Rob Lowe <laughs> slash Michael Bremer could absolutely destroy him. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's so true. Teeny yeah. nothing, mm-hmm. nothingness. Whenever we travel with Bremer, he freaking gets <laughs> his world rocked, man. You know what? There, there is really something to be said for that. People who are... and Because I just went on a little trip this past week. I noticed it because I've been kind of rocking and rolling with working out and drinking smoothies and praying and doing my routines and stuff. It's almost like it's an inverse relation to how well you do on like kind of routine breaking situations like breaks or vacations when those things become impossible, like you can't take a blender with you, you know, or you don't want to pack such and such or whatever. Um, sometimes being too healthy is a is a weakness <laughs> because you're right. You get like one little chink in your army armor, one r- little wrench in your spokes and boom, you're totally off kilter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like I should just play every day by ear and never have any sort of like concrete commitments, just kind of hang out in the wind and not commit to anything because that's real freedom, right? That's novel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do what I want Absolutely. when I don't, want, don't let it, wherever I want. Don't conform, man. Dude, don't like, conform. That was a big thing yeah. when I was in high school. Do kids still talk about that? But don't be a conformist, man. Non-conformist. I remember oh. t-shirts say like saying non-conformist. Is that what the girls that are dyeing their hair different crazy colors? Uh, is that what they're doing? Not conforming. 
I don't know. Would that even even be in the teen vocabulary? I should know this because I have a teen group, but I've never heard anybody say that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, it's kind of like just the whole, like, I don't not not necessarily hipster, but just like whole like materialism in culture is so oftentimes about like being individual mm-hmm. and not conforming by conforming. Right. You know, well, which I, is very interesting. Absolutely. It's kind of the same principle we were just talking about is it's the scorpion's tail. You, you get too attached to your workout routine, then you can't then you actually are unhealthy. The the uber nonconformist ends up looking like every other uber nonconformist. So they're just conforming to a different standard you don't understand me i uh, there definitely the mindset is still there but i don't know if the language like i don't hear people say nonconformist <clears throat> anywhere yeah yeah like, like there get, was a get, sense like, there was a sense among the sort of cooler edgier kids of which i was not one but i hung with in high school because because i was a musician and stuff i wasn't a like quarterback of the football team like you Mets or catcher of the baseball team and bow hunter rob i was kind of the dorky band kid so i hung with those kids but i didn't like i didn't dye my hair or get pierced ears or anything like that kind of weird I, I always thought that was kind of weird itself your hair is naturally that bright red don't Can you believe it? that <laughs> no but uh what was i gonna say oh there was there was sort of like looking down your nose at kids who were abercrombie and fitch or oh yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh, this oh conformist. yeah absolutely. like well, those brand names but then you just ended up creating an aesthetic that was um, the edgy aesthetic, like the punk rock thing. Right. But Yeah. Hip-hop is nonconformist. I, I kind of think, I still feel like I aim to be nonconformist. And wearing clerics and being a priest in some ways um, is me exercising. I mean, obviously, it was much deeper than that. It's a personal identity and, and vocation thing. But... I still feel myself like, oh, I'm going to be in a place where it's kind of uncomfortable to be wearing clerics or I might draw attention to myself. Well, heck yeah, dude, because I'm a nonconformist. You can't tell me what to wear. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I went through a whole medical procedure process with the army on Thursday in clerics and people were looking at me like I had eight heads. Mm-hmm. This is who I am, bro. You bro. want to judge my lifestyle? Go ahead, bro. Yeah, and then they... Uh, I'm going to be me. Yelled at me pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> no. how did it go? No, just kidding. Oh, it went, it went well. Yeah, everything uh, everything was good to go. I got uh, good joints. I got good eyes, good blood. Great blood, actually. Uh. Good blood pressure, good hearing, great hearing, actually. Uh, not very good eyesight, <clears throat> to be honest. Yeah, not it's not terrible, but it's not great. Definitely not great, but it, it was it was good. They actually, because I was in clerics, assigned me a doctor who just personally walked me through each of the little stations we had to go through, and I got there at six thirty and was done by eight thirty, which is insane hmm. because everyone else there was probably done at two thirty, <laughs> which means they would sit on their keisters <laughs> for you know it was six hours essentially, hmm. and get like blood drawn maybe every thirty minutes or something like that. So they were very good to me. Yeah. You want to know how I know I I have good eyes? Is because I was always told that in baseball because I rarely swung the bat. So I was told, (laughs) good eye, Connor, good eye. Good eye, Connor. (laughs) At least I have one good eye. (laughs) 
So, anyways, it was my birthday. That's an old man joke. Oh, dude, that's actually a Brian Regan joke. That is, you're right. So, what were you saying? Yeah, we went to the movie theaters the other day, which has just brought a bunch of things into my head. Oh man, that opens up a bunch of stuff. Big deal, big deal here. So, it could be titled um, "Excursion to See a Quiet Place." Oh, best I've been film about that. fatherhood of all time. Yeah, or it could be titled um, "Mike's Journey into the Land of Old Manness." Mets has arrived. Old <clears throat> Manness. Um, how to complain about cost of movie tickets and shushing high schoolers <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> all <laughs> right, let's hear it. Because he paid so much for the movie ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, the experience it necessitated that I shush them, mm-hmm. even though I'm I'm anti shushing. Okay, so this movie, A Quiet Place, there's like so much <coughs> that we need. So to have set you the seen it? For. No, no, I want to see it though. Oh wow, you yeah, well, go tonight. Tonight, legitimately tonight. Tonight, we have confirmations, but maybe I'll go after. Yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you go, you're not going to regret it. Okay, are you guys going to ruin it or? No, <laughs> Rob loves ruining movies. I do. Don't tempt me, <laughs> but I'll try not to. Okay. But you do need Dang to hear the story. You yeah. need to hear the story. Yeah, you can you can give me the background. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a tense movie. It's a kind of a jumpy movie. Yeah. Well, well, first off, we paid $17, 17.50 for a movie ticket, and that oh was with gosh. the student discount. That was, was it, with the student discount, dude. Which meant it must have How been How is that <laughs> even possible? Was it in 3D Smell-O-Vision? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> it was. I think it was, and I don't know this, but it, like the only time that worked was this like Dolby sound or something like that, which must be a new thing. Oh, and dude, but that's like his the chairs, time. the chairs would like vibrate and stuff. Uh-huh. So I don't know if that was it, but yeah, it was seventeen something and some change. It was over seventeen dollars. Oh my goodness! They tried to do this thing where it like showed the clarity of this of this particular type of theater and this particular type of movie experience and they had like speakers everywhere that you looked the walls were made of speakers Hmm. your chair was actually a giant speaker that would shake and release smells (laughs) it was like the feelies from uh brave new world (laughs) yeah yeah no so it wasn't it was just like extra sound higher quality sound and higher quality picture is what it seemed like and the chair shook. So we pay seventeen fifty to get into what this What was mo- this theater called? Sorry to interrupt. It's, uh, yeah, AMC 12 in Vernon Hills on this 21. Is, I've been there. It wasn't like that before. Well, you probably didn't go to the Dolby. I yeah. mean, and our seats were reclined back. It was totally dope. Well, and this is the new theater, too. Okay, this is called new- the Dolby. That's the that's the one within the AMC it's 12. Like Dolby Audio. The Dolby Listen, Audio. man, we don't know. We don't know I what happened. Yeah, this is... But I some kid know. behind, you know, hold on, the cash hold on, hold on, made me oh, pay him seventeen dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah oh, that's, that kid. Yeah, that kid. The first. So kid I don't know how much me. it would usually cost, but we paid a bunch for this <coughs> phenomenal movie experience. Okay, so then we get honestly into the movie. worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would pay that again, especially for that movie. Mm-hmm. So we get in there. The whole movie, which I didn't know anything about going in, is devoid of sound. Basically okay, the who's the spoiler alert guy okay. now? Look, that's just, it's called a quiet place. Okay, so well, I'll just say this: the movie experience is very dependent on on 
your surroundings and how you pick up noise. Hmm. Like that's a huge, it cannot be overstated how important the sound (laughs) is for this movie. Okay. So it's like great that we paid all this extra money to have this high quality sound experience. Right. (laughs) And this is going, I'm already, you already ruined this part of the movie. I know how this ends. I am already griping. Like, you know, we're like getting ready for the movie and we're making fun. Like, what does this movie come with a plane ticket or like, (laughs) just like absurd? Like, this is the same guys that paid $35 to fly Spirit to Denver. Yeah. Keep in mind. (laughs) Yeah, really. Like, double this, double this. I could have made it to Denver. You know, like, what, like, where's the car that comes with the ticket? You know, so all these types of just absurd, grouchy old man jokes. We get into the movie theater. The movie is bomb. It is like, I am totally enjoying it. It's a great movie. Uh, You definitely need to go see it, everybody. And there's a group of maybe eight high school girls who are sitting to our left. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And they are, they're just chatting. They're just chatting. Oh, my gosh. They're just chatting and like, it's a jumpy movie. And so then they they start laughing Mm -hmm. at like, parts where you're supposed to be reacting very differently than that yeah and i don't know what age it was but they they they, like weren't mature enough because i think because they were in the group to like be able to handle like really kind of intense kind of like sad scenes even and so they would laugh at like i'm gonna guess i'm just gonna go ahead and throw this out there because i've observed it and this is no statement on any particular human beings in general but just the worst age of all when you are the worst possible human person is 14 to 15. <laughs> Freshman yeah, my to guess sophomore year of high school. <clears throat> it would be somewhere around there, probably. Yeah, you have no idea what to do with your newfound quote-unquote maturity. Um, and yeah. intellectual capacity. Right, and you have, you so, have no emotional like IQ. So, yeah, I could totally see the laughing. And it's all this self-consciousness, too, because maybe they, they do react the way they're supposed to, but they feel self-conscious about that. So the only thing they know how to do is nervously laugh. And, right. And oh gosh, dude, I, <laughs> I know exa- actually, I'm picturing this perfectly. I was actually doing okay with it. Cause it was, I mean, it was blatant. It was really bad. Yeah. And like, it was actually really bad. And I was just, I don't know, for whatever reason, like grace of the moment, like it just didn't bother me yeah. that much. Just kind of whatever. But anyway, old Mets, there, there was Mets one, there was one in his juices. No, so, well, so I actually thought about what we we talked about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like the not guys too long that I ago. told off, the Just, drunk dudes at the stand-up comedy show. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. whatever story, I can't even remember where I heard them talking about this, but the lady who was opening up the rapper, and the guy turns around oh, like, yeah. and he oh, said, yeah. you ruined every single show I've been to <laughs> since coming here. And she's like, what? Um, so th- that was actually kind of going through my head. But like, there's a scene at the very beginning, and just, yeah. So I knew like, man, I really hope that they like settle into the movie and I wasn't going to say anything. And then maybe halfway through, it just got to be to the point where it's like, I am starting to stew in it. And it's like, I'm just going to say something. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't angry. Like they're high school girls. And I, I didn't really have a massive expectation. I actually didn't think they were going to stop. Mm-hmm. I thought that they were just going to keep going. But like, you know what? Either way, I, it's best for me to say this. So I just kind of lean over and I leans like over all of a sudden because Mets is sitting next to me and all of a sudden he's standing up like like leaning over me, by the way. (laughs) I wasn't standing. I was still sitting. Well, you okay? I was still sitting. And so I I was leaning over on Rob, but they were like, I mean, all the way down on our pew, like or on our aisle, like to the very 
I, well, I don't know how quite how far down they went, but there were a ways, you know. And so I'm leaning into it. And I'm like, hey, ladies, <laughs> ladies, can y'all keep it down? Can you keep it down? I'm doing hand motions like and they're kind of looking like me like you're talking to me. I'm like, yeah, ladies, keep it down. Keep it down. And then they kind of giggled and and, you know, had like small talk amongst themselves. But then they were quiet. Yeah, they were quiet. They it were was, in a quiet place. They went you to a created quiet a place. quiet place. It was a quiet place. And then I realized I'm a guy who shushes high schoolers mm-hmm. <laughs> in movie theaters. Um, but I, I, I will say this, my own defense. I don't believe in shushing. I believe in asking people to be quiet. Oh, what? so are you anti-shushing not because just get over it, um, people should be able to make the noise they want to make, or you're anti-shushing because it's a bit passive-aggressive and it's just like throwing it out there like a shh without, well, I guess there's just without a committing to, to like actually relating to the person. Yeah, because you're just asking for them to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you shush, you're just using a noise to communicate something you could ask it with words. It's like a dog. You shush a dog. Yeah, you make noises at creatures. It actually, right? it was very kind. And it was like, I'm sure it did scare the devil out of them. Yeah, and they probably, probably that's good. That's like, probably good. You did yeah, a good and thing. They probably, yeah, in their own way, like talked about you that night and made fun yeah, of you yeah, for definitely. being like an old man and blah, blah, blah. Definitely. But <laughs> it was, it was not a jerk move at all. Yeah. It wasn't like hollering at him and yeah. Well, and I and I really did do it from a place like I got shushed in high school movie in high school when I was in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. So I like, and it's it does you know it stinks when it happens anytime that you get corrected or chastised or whatever. But but I really did do it from a place of like, you know, I can either sit and fester in this or I can just like just ask them to be quiet, you know, because they're probably not even aware of what's going on. Um, so I'm a guy who tells people in movie theaters to be quiet. Was I right about the age? Were they about freshman, sophomore age? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's almost Definitely. exactly right. We saw them in the plaza as we were walking out, like right before the parking lot, and uh, thought about going up to them and just shushing them. <laughs> hey. No talking in the plaza. <laughs> could, could you ladies just please keep it down? I heard somewhere recently that... Uh, Girls are, as a parent, it's easier to have girls when they're little and harder to have boys when they're little, but then it switches when they're teens that girls are much harder as teens to raise and parent, whereas boys become easier and more more laid back. Do you think I think studies true? like that are bogus. Mm. I don't think it's a study. I think it's just kind of a conventional wisdom. Mm. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I'm trying to think of a way to talk about this movie without... Uh, well, I was going to ask, you said it was about fatherhood. Were there any insights uh, in the movie oh. that kind of uh, taught you maybe how you should have acted the different or the same towards those girls that needed correction? Yeah, no, I'm... Uh, I'm I, I think I'd probably do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is Jim from The Office is running around in the woods in a quiet place with a child. Is that correct? That's the only mm-hmm. thing I've seen of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is right. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Man. It's manball. Yeah, is it major league manball? Yeah, I would say mm-hmm. it's the best movie I've seen this year. You know what? Uh, it reminded me of in hearing that it was about a positive uh, father figure role. It reminded me of World War Z when Brad Pitt kind of did a similar. Would you say that it's in the same vein of a crisis where a man needs to step up? I would say it's a similar, like, 
different, um, like different backgrounds and cause like Brad Pitt is like a highly trained military guy in that movie. And John Krasinski is not in this movie, but like similar in like the, like good, good fathers in both. But I would say the movie. You're saying he plays a character who is a good, good father. It's who he is. I'm going to keep talking. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then I would say the movie A Quiet Place is more focused on fatherhood Hmm. than World War Z. Is that, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because because some of World War Z you could take as just like this dude being a yeah, a military personnel expert and um but the whole John Krasinski's whole identity in that movie is a dad doing dad stuff. Just being a being a dad for his family. Um and it's like cinemat- cinem- cinematically is just a beautiful, like very, very well acted very talented across the board start to finish group of actors but then also just like lots of beautiful shots and moments as a family uh it's just a very healthy movie yeah and but it's a horror movie yeah so it's also it kind of has like a like signs meet stranger things Hmm. feel as well it was great and even some of the stuff i mean again not to ruin it but yeah just on the cinematography and the shots like that like yeah maybe broke some rules as far as like like a literal believability of the scenes and stuff like it just seemed like they were really trying to like make it about a very beautiful family in the midst of like this kind of horror setting hmm. it is very creative very very good yeah cool story i i looked it up on imdb there's actually i'm not going to say that yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it. I was gonna. I was gonna. Yeah. I was anticipating you saying six other movies by this director. Is that no, what you're gonna say? No, this is his first one. Oh, okay. This is his first one. Yeah. So he did a great job. Mm-hmm. He's got a great beard in the movie. I would go so so far as to say, like, we could officially invite John Krasinski to be on the podcast Absolutely. if he would be interested. Yeah. I I looked up his profile. His mom? No, no, no his dad is. Of Polish descent, and his mom is Irish. Hmm. Chances Which are. you know what that means. Totally. Pole Irish. That he's a great swimmer. Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> or a ski jumper. The Poles have great ski jump teams. Oh, gosh. Have you heard about that? That's like the sport that they kind of kill in. That and men's volleyball. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. And the Irish rowers, I think, there was a hilarious, I'll put this in the show notes, a hilarious interview with the two guys from Ireland who won rowing at... Uh, some one of the rowing races at Rio and they are like corresponding back to to some Irish news show and the interview is hysterical they're talking about how they would kind of wish they hadn't they weren't over in Rio that they were back partying with all the people celebrating how, that they won <laughs> and stuff <laughs> and like total Irish Pretty funny dude yes please put that so uh, yeah, I will I will go ahead and tweet it out to John Krasinski that he's welcome to be on the show. Um, yes, dude, please do that. Provided that he doesn't say anything, that he just sits on Skype and listens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, as as with all our guests, yep. as with all our famous guests, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, but the invitation, yeah. 
Dang, I wish we right, could talk about it a little bit more, but maybe yeah, we thanks, can Connor. maybe we can take this chance too to thank Matthew McConaughey for being on the podcast right now with us. Um, even though he he has agreed not to say anything. Freaking so thanks, a. Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah. Matthew, honestly, mm-hmm. hero level in my book. Okay. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> no, all right, so like I, I wanted to finish my birthday story. Oh, yeah. Ready for this, Jelly? 33. So I had a uh, dinner with my family last night, and I got a present from them, which was pretty funny because my mom took a lot of time. Apparently, she went to the container store and got a box specifically to disguise what it was. Like, she wanted to get a huge box. Oh, fun. And she put a bunch of world book encyclopedias in the bottom to make it really heavy. And do you want to guess what it was? Baseball tickets. Beats by Dre. (gasps) Was it Beats by Dre? (laughs) Oh, man. Those are two funny guesses. No, it was neither (laughs) of those. (laughs) It was a Nintendo Switch. Oh, oh that? I remember you talking about that. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little torn. I mean, I was thrilled to get it, um, and they got the Mario game, which is the one that I like the most. But uh, it remains the, the case that I'm a little, uh, I know myself to be not great at moderating <laughs> fun times. <laughs> so we'll see. Whoa. Last night I played a little bit, but um, I'm going to work my best to to moderate it. Um, hey, are you going to be up on campus soon? Tomorrow I have the new pastor workshop. I'm going to be up at Marytown. Oh, dude. Mm-hmm. So if you want to bring it up. Yeah. We could help. <laughs> you hey. could help moderate me. Another Absolutely. idea. I'll I'll trade you. I'll trade you my whittle knife and my <laughs> How's book. the whittling going, by the way? Super good, dude. I'm getting pretty good at these owls. Yeah, they they mm-hmm. do look good. Mm-hmm. They do cool. look good. Their owlness is really starting to show. Yeah, the first one, the first one I did looked a lot like a fox with like a weird body. I think I saw but that one. So does, is, they, is the wood marked in any way, or is it just a like a rectangular, three dimensional piece of wood? Yep. Yes, it and would you, be a three dimensional piece of wood rather than a two dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> or even one. It's not a piece of wood drawn on a piece of paper. <laughs> it is, in fact, a Nor real... Nor is it a singularity or a point in yeah. space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. So, but do you have like a book that tells you how to carve it? Sorry, whittle mm-hmm. it? I don't need that anymore, though. I can do the owls just by freehand. Whoa, dude. Boom. Boom, dude. baby. Yep. So I haven't ventured out past that, but yeah, it's pretty awesome. You have you ever pretty pretty quick? Have you ever whittled, um, like something like a chain? I one time I I made two links, two chain links when I was at a scout camp. I was helping my old scout troop when I was in college, and I didn't have anything to do. I was just up there kind of supervising, and I whittled a couple things. And what, the coolest th- thing I thought was two things: a ball ball in a cage. Have you ever seen that? I, that, that's in my book, but that seems really hard. Is yeah, it, it was. My, mine wasn't great. It was. It wasn't really a ball. It was just kind of a tube that would move <laughs> throughout the cage. But it was cage-like, three-dimensional box. Dude, but that would be the, cool. But the chain before link, I try something, before I try something harder than the owl, like I have to get a glove because I have freaking gouged my really. fingers ever, for pretty much every owl I've carved. Really? It's caused me a scar on my fingers oh wow well, well here's another irony thing where you like, think that being a conformist 
being a, a nonconformist that you're not going to be a conformist, but you actually are. It's kind of like the sharper your knife, the less likely you are to cut yourself. Isn't that yeah, true? Sharp, sharp knife is a safe knife. Mm-hmm. Sharp knife is a safe knife. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, there are all these par- the realities just fill the paradoxes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, very true. Like you tell you, you, you make a decision not to get yourself a Nintendo Switch because you know you can't uh, discipline yourself to use it moderately, and then your family goes and gets you one. <laughs> yeah, and I think you consulted with your family about whether or not you should get it, right? <laughs> and they were in favor of me getting it. In fairness, and I think I think it's the right thing to do. It'll be that's a great if yeah, that's a great mom moment though. Yeah. Like just get it. Especially, you should keep it, <laughs> especially to to disguise it in the box. I thought that was very very fun. That's nice. That's a lot of love going on right there. Very thoughtful. It's a nice touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, hey, it does make me think. Uh, the other day, I was talking to old father Tom Byrne about uh, just like different, essentially drinking habits. And it's interesting that you mentioned moderation because that was one of the things that I was talking about. Because you know, I didn't drink for five years, and uh, now I'm 28, and like just learning how to healthily integrate that into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, we had like a, a Diacono Vino event. We had just a couple of events where it's like end of the year starting to celebrate and like how do you incorporate specifically drinking into like the greater celebration of an evening and Mm. you don't let it dominate where it's like the focus of the night becomes about drinking right and so i was asking that same question about moderation and uh it's actually very helpful um he said you know moderation is much more of like the let's look at the line and how far you can go and try and tow that line. So like, what's what's too much? And we'll draw the line just before too much, and we'll try to keep it within those bounds. And honestly, that doesn't really work for me ever on anything. Right, me I, either. I will abuse that line. Mm-hmm. And you'll make <laughs> no excuses, and you'll like, oh, I can have that Oreo because it's broken. And you know, it's just you. You make all sorts of exceptions to the rules that you make, and you know that they're made up rules because you made them up. Dang it, you're right. You know, <laughs> so you can just make up new rules in the moment. Right. If you're, the if worst you're time to make up new a... rules is when you want something that you made a rule about moderating. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And if you run fast enough towards any line, like you're eventually going to trip over it right. and fall like well over that line. So I wonder, I mean, this is a good question, but I wonder if it's not um, that n- those negative kind of uh, rules, while necessary, uh, aren't sufficient for that's exactly virtue. right you that's need, why i was going to have say a positive a more. goal right yeah so that's that's hmm. I, I had a little bit more that i was going to add there well i kind of beat you to it didn't i you well you did yeah so you did i'm just going to throw in a word here okay okay and then uh, we'll just let it let it do its thing i'm just going to toss it in here it goes temperance oh uh-huh so <clears throat> part of, after our conversation, he was like, hey, go read some Thomas on temperance. And I was like, hey, well, what if I read some Peeper on temperance? And he said that would be a great idea. So I picked up some Peeper, who is just so clear and concise. And like for some reason, his writing just really pops to me and makes sense to me. Um, <clears throat> and he essentially said that temperance is the integration of a bunch of various different things, a bunch of various different parts towards a unified whole and the way that i understood that was like when you look at like specifically for what i was reading it for is when you look at drinking moderation doesn't work because you're looking at a line and saying this is my limit but when you're looking at it from this perspective of temperance that drinking is 
a a part of a bigger um, like a bigger event, a bigger generally celebration or hangout that's going on. And if it becomes the sole focus, then you're missing like the unified whole that all of the circumstances are meant to be drawing you into. So like when we hang out at you know in the cam room, the purpose of that is to build friendship and to like in some way grow in holiness through our relationships and through our friendships. So for drinking to dominate the evening, that's that's taking me away from the actual good that's meant to be achieved. But if you're still striving for that good and then you just allow drinking to be integrated into that like mission, so to speak, then it becomes one thing among many things that are happening in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that vision of like, no, like just strive for, strive to integrate it into the whole of the evening, then I'm actually aiming for a positive and like choosing to do a good there instead of trying to avoid an evil. So then it, with that mindset, then it's like, okay, as I'm drinking, if I'm starting to drink too much, it's going to inhibit how I'm spending my evening. Uh, how I'm relating to my brothers, my moral compass will, I'll just be derelict of my moral duties. And you start to realize that the thing that I'm striving for, friendship, uh, holiness, ultimately, is being inhibited by this consumption of alcohol. So it's deterring me from from the good that I'm striving for, which is, that's not temperance. So you're missing at that point. Um, So his, just his definition of unifying uh, a bunch of different parts into this unified whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just made a heck of a lot more sense to me. Yeah, and, and it, that's much easier for me to at least strive towards. Yeah, I agree. That's sort of the. I don't know what that looks like for video games, but. And I think that there's a there's a corporate aspect to it, and there's an individual aspect because, like, what you're saying, is the, um, like the party itself. I mean, I, I can think of in my lifetime occasions where if you took alcohol for instance as one thing out of the picture i probably like that group of people would not be with each other they certainly wouldn't be enjoying each other like it was kind of essential to the gathering you know what i mean like i'm thinking of particular times in college or bars and things like that it would not have been fun if it weren't for alcohol so it's like that is like you're saying the main focus if not the goal of the evening to get drunk at least it's it's essential. Whereas, you know, it can be a helpful exercise to like do a Lent where you can like, can we just have fun and, and interact and relate without the aid of the lubricant of alcohol? Um, and that can be a litmus test, like whether or not um, this is really about the, the fellowship and not just about sort of a mutual agreement that we're all just going to sort of satiate a base desire together and basically use each other as drinking buddies, you know, just people to do this with rather than persons to, to enjoy and, and relate to. But then I think there's the individual aspect of it too. Like some people just can't, like you say, like cannot moderate, but you know, take the specific example of alcohol. Um, my uncle is used to say that you only get a certain amount of drinks in life that you get to drink. And some people drink them all at the beginning and then they can't drink anymore. And that's like what an alcoholic is. You basically just used up all because you have no, they just don't have a stop button, you know? Um, and those people, they, they can be around alcohol, but they can't drink it because they can't, I mean, they personally cannot enjoy the moment and the people that they're with 
if that becomes a thing because it just triggers off some some cascading uh free will thing that where they just become enslaved to the to the object and um i think that there is sort of an emotional psychological aspect to this whole thing about addiction in general um and moderation in particular that whatever it is that you that you use to kind of soothe self-soothe when you're in moments of um restlessness be they um you know negative like depressed or or anxious or or even positive like excited and like it's the end of the semester or the end of the you know um just something exciting is happening like what do i do to to outlet or reach catharsis um i want some kind of some kind of release like you can see where you go um you know the sins of the flesh or or you know alcohol food whatever um these things that you know that you have some hunch that like okay that's what i'm looking for and then you go and you just eat a lot of it or drink a lot of it or do a lot of it and you're just left empty and and sort of i don't know the hangover is a perfect physical manifestation of what's happening spiritually and psychologically in being excessive or immoderate that you just feel like that wasn't what i was looking for um you know and i think that i heard a talk pretty recently that really kind of rocked me and made me rethink a lot of stuff is that in those moments where you're you're like a disagreeable emotional state you know which just happens in life you kind of have these ups and downs to go to people instead of objects and not to use the people as objects but to to really relate to them as people because sometimes the last thing i want to do when i've had a long day is make a phone call because i think oh that's going to be work to talk to somebody or, you know, catch up with an old friend or something like that. It, m- it would be much easier, say, to play the Nintendo or to have a beer or whatever um, and listen to music or watch Netflix or something. But that will leave me feeling empty. But if I if I just get over the hump of that laziness or whatever and call somebody just for the sake of calling them, um, or better yet, going to the the church and kneeling making a visit to the blessed sacrament and relating to god first and then to a fellow human being it just makes the whole thing um it opens it to grace like it opens that suffering or that fatigue or whatever to the work of grace which is always relational and to me that that makes a lot more sense or it's actually practical for me like like let's take the alcohol thing you're at a party and you are you know what what's the line what's the you know how many can i have here like you said is the 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 question is not how many what's my line and how many can i have before i'm sinning or before i'm immoderate but what's the goal here it's to relate to people and if i have another beer or whatever i might not be able to talk as well and listen and pay attention to the person that's in front of me it's because it's about relationship you know anyways rambling a bit but that's all i have to say about that well yeah and even there's an aspect of that idea of moderation and immoderation like how much is too much you're still focused on that thing like it's not the right focus you're you're meant to be looking up at, mm-hmm. at something a bit more you know right so just that that shift of focus that's it's just a like pretty simple thing but um I, you know those things as well 
um, yeah. And laws are for the wicked, you know. The only reason we need like a law about how much you can do this or that is because we tend to not govern ourselves, you know, um, by instinct. Our instinct is wrong, you know. Um, rather than using these things for the glory of God, we tend to focus on them in themselves. And so we need rules. But the yeah. love and do what you will is like once your once your soul has been divinized to return to the topic from last week. Oh, I said the wrong. Oh, I said the word. Mm. Oh my! Oh man! Darn! Dude. I am chastened. <laughs> wow! <laughs> All right, I'll be I'll be quiet for the next up. five minutes. That was pretty ideal. Mm-hmm. I'm standing in a corner with my nose in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah divinization if you are all the way sanctified if you're all the way a human in the sense like the the true sense uh then you don't need the law anymore you're free that's love and do what you will right right mm. it was an interesting this american life this week did you you guys listen to that podcast no nope about a uh, evangelical charismatic pastor who stopped believing in hell after the Rwandan genocide. He was watching TV with his kid or something like that. And he was very, very well-liked and famous um, pr- pastor and preacher, founder of a church in Oklahoma. And um, it just occurred to him one day that a good God wouldn't make hell. You know, And this, guy, this is not a simple man. He's very versed in scripture and Hebrew and Greek and stuff like his, his homilies or his sermons were pretty sophisticated and he kind of fell into this trap of, I mean, the way the radio makes it sound is like, Oh, he's just, you know, finally realized that a good God wouldn't create this torture chamber for people, uh, for, you know, for all eternity. I'm in, of course in the back of my mind thinking like, that's because of sola scriptura. You have to, you basically have to, um, or at least the way that the scriptures have been interpreted in that in those traditions creates this sort of weird vision of hell that God is like throwing everybody in there. If you read Luther's Bondage of the Will, for instance, it's like it doesn't have to make sense. It just God said it, and so there it is. He wants certain people to be damned. He wants certain people to be saved. He creates certain people to be damned specifically, maybe to show his glory or his justice. Who knows? But we'll know in the next life, you know. Whereas the Catholic tradition has always kind of demanded that things make sense because God has to be good and reasonable, um, according to our tradition. And so I thought, you know, like the existence of hell, yes, God created hell, but he didn't create it as a torture chamber to send people to. He created it because it's a necessary, logical result of free will, that there must be a place where you can go and not be with God if you don't want to. He invites everybody to be with him for all eternity. That's what heaven is. But for it to be, for us to be really free, there must be a place where we can go and be away from him by our own choice forever. Um, and that's what hell is. It's just the result of that eternal choice, which the angels make. And then any human soul that decides finally to not, um, accept God's offer of love and forgiveness and repent, then 
you can go there. But it was sort of just more the facile, like, oh, why would God, he was looking at people in Africa dying from this genocide and starving and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, these people didn't make the Jesus prayer, so they're all going to hell. So they're just suffering here on earth and then going to hell. Like, why did God do that? Mm-hmm. And he heard a voice in his heart say, no, that's you and your, you know, perverted doctrines. Basically like the Luther thing, you know, he had a lightning bolt moment and started preaching a universalist doctrine, basically. And people just basically left. Um, there was one guy who said he went to church there for a while and uh, he, he had his doubts. And then one day during the sermon, there was he was quoting some scripture and Paul says, you know, you need to have faith in Christ to be saved. And and the pastor goes, you know, he says faith in Christ, but he doesn't mean faith in Christ. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, that's a little insulting. That's in black and white. <laughs> I can't I can't go with you anymore. And but it was interesting kind of seeing the the result of of that choice um, or the result of kind of trying to resolve the paradox of saying, like, well, if God is good, then nothing bad must exist. Or God must not allow the you know bad result of a bad choice. Um, but an interesting show. Any in any case. How did we jump to that? I don't know. There was a little bit of a lull, so I just filled it in. Just <laughs> went for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Well, the <clears throat> I guess a a different thought along the. Um, like the missed focus or misguided focus. I just thinking like sometimes that happens to me in like relationships either with my siblings or family or friends or whatever is, and I think the evil one uses them very, very easily. But like, yeah, you know, I have like a tiny interaction that is a bit offsetting, uh, you know, uh, um, upsetting, off put, unsettling, yeah. and unsettling off-putting and and you know you have like people that you clearly love and um you're in right relationship with but then like i i can very easily have my focus altered and just like hyper focus on one of those small little interactions and it will color the entirety of the of the relationship you know and just so how easy it is for for us or at least for myself that um if i do have this like misguided focus on on this, the big picture whole, on this thing that I'm striving for, then man, like it's so easy for, for me to get distracted and get focused on the, like the small little petty things. Um, yeah. And it, and then it just becomes a burden and you, then you start to not live in reality because you're just, you're focused on this wrong thing instead of integrating that little thing into the whole of the relationship. And so it's, you know, at times we can get stuck on material things, but I think there's also like, it definitely plays a, a part relationally that we have to have temperance in relationships as well Mm. um which you could also apply that to prayer you know i I think it's type of mature spirituality is when you have temperance in your prayer life with the lord um that it's not getting focused on like particular particular moments in particular days or consolations or desolations there but well i guess not getting focused on desolations um, but then allowing them to be a part of this bigger relationship that's developed. Um, cause I, it's so easy for me to go in, have a bad day of prayer and I come out and I'm like, Lord, you've abandoned me. Like <laughs> it's been like one day of dry prayer or something like that, but I can get so focused on it and allow that to color the entirety of how I see, 
how I experience reality, you know? Um, so then just temperance, I guess, in, in, uh, in all things, but temperance relationally specifically. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts, Rob? I don't. Yeah, it's good stuff. I agree. <laughs> I, I just read this like last night, so I'm just still kind of stream of consciousness just processing it. Blah. Blah. Yeah. But I mean if it's a virtue, it applies to you know lots of different facets of our life, so Absolutely, positively. You getting psyched for ordinations? Oh yeah. Indeed. Oh yeah. Just bought my plane tickets for uh Hotlanta. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Thanks Woo! for forwarding me the itinerary. Mm-hmm. What time are you flying? What day are you flying down there? Flying down Friday. What time? Um, oh, I don't want to say over the internet. People might, you know, try, yeah, to, yeah, that's true. try to damage the plane. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, dude. I was flying I was flying the day that that woman got sucked out of the Southwest plane. Whoa. I was flying on Southwest. And, and in fact, the plane that was headed to Chicago was in Philly and was delayed because they made that emergency landing in Philadelphia. So my plane got going like an hour late, but my goodness, could you imagine? I guess that, you know, the engine blew up and the, the uh, window broke and the woman got, who was sitting by the wing and the, that window got like sucked half out and ended up passing away. It's a terrible tragedy, but oh, talk man, about it. Is. One in a trillion chance. Oh yeah. Yeah. Horrible. But makes you think. How horrific would that be, man? It's I mean, weird. The, the mind is like yeah. so. I, I heard people saying in the airport uh, when I got to Los Angeles, like, "Oh man, I'm never sitting by the wing again." And I thought, "We're the, the human yeah. brain is so like that that we insist on patterns that, like, re, you know, the likelihood of lightning striking twice in the same place, even though that does happen, doesn't it?" tall buildings and whatnot um but metaphorically yeah. speaking like these statistical anomalies i do think about yeah. it when i'm flying and you know even though you can say objectively it's much more dangerous to drive there's a much higher chance every time yeah. you get behind a car the wheel of a car that you're gonna get in a fatal car crash than a fatal plane crash or something like that right. nevertheless you still feel like i'm in a floating iron giant and huh. uh i always pray when we take off and after we land, I oh. give thanks. Mm-hmm. I rarely do that when I drive. Maybe I should do it when I drive. That is true. I yeah, should. I do the same thing. Huh. I don't know. It's uh, You're talking about just ordinations in general, and I am super pumped. I've kind of been, I mean, I've certainly been like focused on the, the weekend and trying to start to like really spiritual prepare, prepare for it too, and very excited for it. Um, but it'll also kind of like put a focus the next couple of weeks on finishing up at Mundelein, hopefully well, and all of that. Um, it's interesting. And, it, you know, it happens around here a lot, and, like, it's happened a few times with people outside of here. And I don't know I don't know if you went through this or BISC or if you are now, like, Mets, but when people ask me, like, and this is it's getting more common, but they'll be like, oh, how many days left? Mm. Yeah, people ask me that all the time. That really irritates me. Like, <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know if it is for you guys, because uh, like I just haven't. It hasn't even. Besides people asking me and annoying me, like it just hasn't caught like crossed my mind to have like a countdown going. Right. 
for days. And maybe I just don't think that way. I don't know. Thoughts? Yeah, I certainly don't think that way. I mean, I woke up on my birthday and remembered it was my birthday. Um, I'm not a countdown kind of guy. Yeah. But I sort of, yeah, I like living it one day at a time. And I also was the kind of, I mean, in that last few months leading up to ordination, you have a lot of different plates kind of spinning. Oh, yeah. To be, I don't know, I didn't think I had the luxury to just sit and count. You know what I mean? Like you have stuff to do. And I, in some ways I was like, gosh, is it only that many more days? I need more, you know, <laughs> to get this stuff ready. So I always yeah. kind of thought of the countdown as like, you're a kid. My mom said this about my uh, nieces and nephews because I was going down to see them a few months ago. And she said, you know, Gabby and Max are counting down the days till you get there. And I was like, oh, I'm only going to be there for like a day and a half. And I'm going to be working most of the time. And she's like, yeah, well, kids are kind of like cats. Their lives are boring. They need something to look forward to. That's <laughs> like, that's really true. Even if insulting, you know, the days are pretty much the same day. And if you think about your childhood, I mean, it was fun to not have responsibilities and just basically your job was to learn and have fun and sometimes do chores. But it actually was pretty repetitive and boring. Um, that's why like Christmas and your birthday and. I don't know. Like, bo- it would be boring to go back and live it again. Right. I don't know I would say mine was boring. No, you're right. You're right. But from an adult's perspective, like, that's why you are counting down days till Uncle Connor gets there. A, because he's awesome and he's the funnest uncle in the world. But B, because <laughs> school and dinner and bedtime are not all that exciting <laughs> in themselves. And they happen pretty much every day. So, I don't know. To answer your question, I didn't... Uh, hmm. I didn't do the countdown thing either. Yeah, I, I've had a similar experience. It doesn't irritate me, but uh, but I am perplexed by the question. Yeah, and it, maybe not like, I don't like snap at people when yeah, they ask. Right. Oh, but yeah, I typically yeah. say it's like, oh, I, I don't know, like however long May 26th is. Two months. Yeah. Just taking it one game at a time. I guess. Yeah, and I wonder if it's because, like, even just thinking about it now. Um, is there? No, I was just looking at the oh, list. Um is it like it implies some type of incompleteness right now? Like there's this thing that's going to fulfill me eventually when it comes down the track. Like, I don't know. I like I, I got a lot on my plate right now. Kind of similar to you, Father Connor, that uh, um, like I, I got enough right now to deal with. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Like there's this there's this thing that's in the future that's going to come. And right now I'm not. uh yeah, there's just this type of incompleteness that I'm waiting to to happen to me, and then and then it and then life will be complete. I don't know. I, I just don't get the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although at the same time, I get. I mean, it's a big, a big day. Deal. Oh, it's yeah. a big day. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, I don't yeah, know. Why I don't think deal. that it's way. a huge day in my life. And yeah, you know what? I mean, another thing is is uh, Father Joe Altenhoff, and he was a dog. Um, probably four years ahead of me, Seattle priest, really cool guy. He said something that stuck with me. Um, at some point somebody was talking about like their first mass. And of course it was like three or four years off in the distance. And they're like, yeah, I want to have my first mass at such and such church and do it this way. And mm. cause it's beautiful or whatever. And, uh, Joe just goes, yeah, that's good. Uh, to want that stuff. And 
maybe it'll happen. But I think what you'll find is that as you get closer, you realize your ordination, your first mass, none of that stuff is about you anyway. <laughs> wow. That's really, I think there, there, there's something there for that. You know, it's not like my big day, you know? Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> it's like a day for everybody else. And you'll find that. I was thinking to myself as I was buying those plane tickets, I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be nice to, you know, after the ordinations are done and everything to kind of sit and chill. But I remember my ordination weekend and you, you really don't have any time to sit and chill. You're just, you're just blessing people and talking to people and it's beautiful and great, but yeah, it's the beginning of the rest of your life, brah. Hey, do you have any thoughts of why that's like? No, similar. I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just a weird, it's like a strange question to me, but yeah, typically like, uh, I man, maybe I just like don't think in like those terms in the same way, and some people do. Like, I really, I really don't know, because um, there is like tons of excitement and looking forward to it, and like the weekend itself is going to be awesome and uh, everything, but. I don't know, just to do a countdown, it's just, it's just like a strange notion to me. But I haven't wondered it because the more I get asked it, like every time I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm also very worried about being let down. You know what I mean? Like if, I, if I'm putting all my eggs into the basket of this day, you know, rather than like you were saying, Mike, kind of implying <laughs> that the current day is not good enough. But once that day arrives, everything will be hunky dory. Um, oh, that yeah that, you know that, what i mean like that is a very that's, that's a recipe a, for disaster totally a recipe for disaster because you're gonna get on the other side of that and then you're gonna be like well now what do i look forward to the the choice is not yeah that you just must live right now <clears throat> for today i yeah. you're gonna make fun of me for being a dork but i i wrote about this in my my senior year when i was the opinions editor of the newspaper um <laughs> <laughs> that I'm if you make like, fun of yourself you think that's gonna freeze <laughs> and you make fun yeah, of you for I'm, being a nerd <laughs> hey i'm i'm connor d'antrum i'm I, gonna edit the newspaper <laughs> redhead Red and i played saxophone too if you want to oh that on the, gosh how could you play with uh, the braces i'm assuming you wore <laughs> <laughs> i did have braces <laughs> i got rid of them my freshman year though I got rid of them after the awful years, freshman and sophomore year. And it became cool. Dude, I was, I, what did I do? I edited the school newspaper. Of course well. you did. Well, I wasn't the editor, okay? Mm. But uh-huh. you need to quit categorizing these things as, like, specifically nerdy. I, as a jock, I feel excluded, okay? <laughs> and that hurts my feelings. So I wrote a think piece when I was, you know, my senior year about how people need to stop counting down the minutes of, like for math periods to be over or I remember right. you've, you've talked, about, talked this. about this on the podcast. The concept yeah. of time. All right, mm-hmm. fine. Well then go back no, and listen no, no, to no, season hey, three, hey, episode hey, it was 14. Whatever. It was <laughs> <laughs> what? It was a while ago and you talked about it in a specific context. Well, now this is a different context. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's, that's, that's basically the story. The countdown story complete. Yeah. Just stop counting down and start living in the moment. I was like, you know, how are we 18 years old and we're, already waiting for our lives to be over one 40 minute period at a time 
I'm like, oh gosh, I can't wait till this period's over. I can't wait till this semester's over. I can't wait till we'll go to college. I can't wait till. And I was like, that's just going to keep happening. You're going to now you're going to be waiting for hour long periods to be over in college. Like when is this discussion section or this lecture going to be over? And, um, and look, you're still, you know, doing it well into your late twenties, early thirties when you're in the seminary, like when is seminary going to be over? <clears throat> that's got to stop at some point. And it, that's why, why it's a recipe for disaster. Cause if, it, if you don't get out of the habit of counting down to the day when I'll have what I'm waiting for, then you'll just keep waiting. Yeah, and that's maybe maybe that is it. Is like the day I'm ordained a priest is a huge day in my life and one that I'll always have and hopefully always remember and is going to be a great day. But like that day will not be the fulfillment of my life. You know, hopefully like then a lifetime of being a priest right will be. Which again, but that I mean that kind of misses it too because that's not what like asking the countdown to your priesthood ordination is yeah. insinuates either. Mm-hmm. Um but I do like similar to that. I, it's, well, it's like I've heard this year, you know, a couple and not often, but like one of the jokes sometimes you'll hear around here is like, oh, gosh, like, wouldn't it be like awful to like die this year and go to heaven as a transitional deacon and not a priest? Like, I don't <laughs> know if you guys remember those yeah. at all. And I was again, like you can laugh at that. And, you know, it's like but again, I was like, I, just, I don't like quite get that either. Being mm-hmm. I don't know. And not to, and this isn't like anything past it, but I don't know. I'm just kind of like the Father Oaks thing of like, I'm just very happy with my life right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I just kind of say that. And I'm not, you know, dying of anything that I know of, you know, so. Uh, Except which life, is really good. man. But it's just like, life's pretty good. Um, a lot, like a lot of blessings. So just a lot of gratitude kind of going into it. And maybe that's been it. It's like, I still got two weeks at line and just kind of enjoy that and go from there yeah that's where it's like the the mentality and i've talked to not on the podcast about this um I, this is much more like specific to seminary jargon i don't know maybe it happens in dating as well or the the vocation of marriage but it's like <clears throat> striving to like striving so hard to be a priest that like you're not actually sure if you want to be a priest like you're just working towards that finish line, quote unquote finish line, which is really the beginning line. Like you're actually starting the vocation there. But it's Yeah, Schoenstein had a great line today in our last like little homiletics class with him and Father Sywick and Linda Curry. But he just said he was like you, you know, he was talking about like the first two years of priesthood taught him like way more than anything else in his life about how to be a priest. And he's like, You learn to be a priest by being a priest. Hmm. period you know you don't learn to be a priest by being a seminarian you do it's not like belittling the formation you get in the seminary but it's like you learn to do do that Mm -hmm. by doing it Uh, which is everything right Right, right. i'm picturing right now this and i wonder if it's the same go ahead well just with like the married married vocation that it's like man you know i meant to be with another and so w- w- once I get married, then like, then I'll be complete, you know? Um, yeah. and so it's not even about, it's just like working to this point instead of like, am I actually free to get married? Is this actually what I desire? Do I actually want to be a priest? What does it mean to be a priest? But we're, we're so focused on like the day to day getting through the system 
I don't even, that's not even, well, that makes sense in seminary, but <clears throat> for, for the dating thing, that doesn't really make sense. But you're striving to this finish line that's actually a beginning line. And I just, yeah, like I'm, I'm pretty convinced if you're a happy, if you're a happy, fulfilled seminarian, you'll be a happy, fulfilled priest. Uh-huh. Right. And if, if you're a happy, fulfilled individual, like lay person who's called to the married, married vocation, I guarantee you'll be a happy, fulfilled married person, which as is well. often like part of, I think the, and there's a lot you could say on this, but like the fallacy in just kind of the, the limbo or being like just in a, a crucible of like indecision on vocational discernment, yeah. which I mean, I went through in like s- some very real ways too of like not knowing what I want to do, not knowing what God wanted me to do you know, blah, blah, blah. But more and more, I'm just convinced. And this is talking like, at least from the other side of having make made like lifelong commitments at diaconate and everything. But yeah, I mean, you even d- like discerning a married vocation and stuff like that, like you fall in love with people, you know, like when you're discerning a vocation, like it'd be for like, you know, I want to marry this specific person in this and so it's like um so even going into priesthood it's just it's just very cool how like concrete and um i don't know is simple like isn't quite the right word in it but like i'm just a priest of like one little diocese of like the entire catholic church and that's a great place to be you know um and so it's not that it's not romantic and it's not that it's not exciting and a, like a real adventure. Um, but I just thought about, you know, I don't know how we got on here either. But when someone says, yeah, exactly, like before, and it's not doubting like a call necessarily or anything, but, um, you know, I know without a doubt, like I'm called to be married yeah. and blah, blah, blah. It's like, good. That's awesome. That's awesome. But it has to take like root in in somebody else right. like to actually um you know to to be real it has to like involve somebody else yeah. then um i don't know that's kind of rambling yeah well mm. now you got anything connor i had an expansion of that idea <clears throat> a bit and i uh, i do kind of have to get going ah oh, dude like i feel like it was ago. just getting juicy yeah yeah. Oh, oh, hey, if I can just say this before you go. Sure. I To say all that is not to negate, I think, in a very real way. Like, there is a suffering in trying to, like, discern the the will of God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've yep. all gone through that, you yeah. know? And so it is a huge grace to have that clarity of, of direction and discernment. But, I like, I think the deeper truth is that the quality of love that you're called to and are capable of right now and the quality of love that God is giving to us right now is not that's not going to change magically like when when you reach the fulfillment of your vocation mm-hmm. you know but like the the way that you're called to love right in this moment is exactly the capacity that God has has created you for and he's not going to love you any more or any less um, and even if it is like tough in discernment uh, like you're sad or you're really happy about it that like the Lord is He's present there and loving you exactly as you are. But at the same time, the clarity of, of the discernment is it, it, that's a great joy. That's really helpful, too. Yeah. And it's not to doubt 
like when somebody does say that, like, no, I know for oh, sure yeah. this is even though it's in the future, even though it's <clears> not like totally concrete yet. I know this. It's not to doubt that. Right. Either. Right. Like, that's a beautiful gift that some people receive. Yeah. And so in a sense, like, OK, we'll just let it continue to get better and right. become more concrete and right. everything. But yeah. Yeah. God desires you exactly where you are. And you don't have to move anywhere or be with somebody else to to have like a deep, deeply meaningful, love-filled life. Yeah, there's not this final thing that we're working towards, but like, well, I guess that's true and untrue. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of it, yeah. <clears throat> life is full of paradoxes, you know? A wise priest once told me that. Yeah, not too long ago. Well, it all reminds me of the old saying, as the seminarian, so the priest or put it more to the point seminarians are big babies and priests are big seminarians <laughs> uh, i've never heard that before. i've never heard either of those i like it i've yeah, heard the uh, really the good. three the three main lies of the seminarian are i don't have enough time i don't have enough money and i'll pray for you <laughs> <laughs> well, i never said that dude but you are my prayers. Yeah. yeah, you'll be in my prayers. No, I I have taken to writing it down in a little book that I keep in my breast pocket yep. all the time. And then yep. liter- and literally check them off as I pray decades of the rosary for people. Mm. Oh, cool. I got sick of feeling bad about that. I'd forget who I told I was going to pray for. And it's like, we're doing this. Anyways, dude, bros, I'm just looking forward to the next thing I'm doing because that's what I live for, the next moment. So I need Live to in the going. moment, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, live in the moment. Dude. Don't let the world get you down. So should I go see a midnight show? Even if I get out of the confirmation like at, late at night, I should go see In a Quiet you're Place? Gonna, you're going to flip and love this movie. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Right. Yeah, and maybe if you go in the middle of the night, there won't be any people in the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Hey, love you too, man. All right, bye. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.